When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. I would have killed my whole family and burned my house down. That would have been the end of the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gen X This Is Why, where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. My name is Amy. I'm your host, and I'm a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm Amy's older sister, born in 1974, and I'm the city mouse living in New York City. So you're going to hear some stuff in the background that we're not going to be able to edit everything out because it's just, I'm in Brooklyn and it's just how we live here. So today we're going to look at Little House on the Prairie and, and the television audience's introduction to the Ingalls family. This was the very first time that we saw them. We know the series is based on the very popular memoir and books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. This was a two-hour movie. It aired in 1974, and it really gave birth to the series. So this episode description reads, When the big woods of Wisconsin become a difficult spot for hunting, Charles Ingalls reluctantly decides to move his family to Kansas. Leaving their beloved relatives proves to be devastating, but the resilience of the Ingalls spirit reigns supreme. Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to take issue with that uh, description right away. <laughs> oh, that didn't take long. <laughs> By saying they're beloved relatives, because nobody looks beloved in this opening scene. But no, let's talk it, about it. Yeah, I agree. So we open with a Laura voiceover. And she says, Pa says we might never again see Grandma and Grandpa. And that really hit home for me <laughs> of how arduous this journey was going to be. I mean, it's like it's tragic two minutes into the series premiere. So they show the Ingalls leaving and loading in the wagon. And again, these carolers are just standing there. and They're <laughs> supposed to be the beloved relatives, I guess. There's no waving. It's very puritan. No blowing kisses. Yeah. No running after the wagon, crying. God forbid they show emotion. So one thing I loved here, too, is right the first five minutes of the episode, Laura's already throwing shade at Mary. And I guess I never realized how much shade is thrown at Mary throughout the entire, at least the entire first season. So I have thoughts about this as somebody whose character was assassinated in print by their younger sister. <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel for Mary, like these books were written by wait, Laura. Wait, wait, let's just tell the audience. So I wrote a memoir and yes, Jenny was included. I'm a writer and she just happens to be the subject. The villain. Well, the shoe fits. So 
Mary, uh, Laura says that she's she's excited to go on this adventure and Mary's scared because Mary's a lame loser <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Again, I didn't read the books either, so I can't say how accurate the TV series is in comparison to the books, but all Laura's point of view. And I read the books, but it was easily, how old am I? 42. So we used to go on vacation. I was maybe 12. So about 30 years ago, I read the books. Yeah, I don't remember that. And we watched the TV series in syndication. So we didn't watch this, obviously. Amy didn't watch it three years before she was born, and I didn't Mm. watch it in utero. So we watched it like around the mid-80s, we figured out. Uh, They stop somewhere to ditch their horses and get new ones. This is really the first scene where you're seeing some interaction between the Ingalls family. We realize how important these horses are to the family, not only do they do a lot of the manual labor, but they teach the kids about the birds and bees as well. Was that their only birds and bees lesson? That like Probably. two minutes of like this horse has a penis and this one doesn't and that's how it works? Probably. And the way that the scene plays out is Mary names the horse and shocker, she picks the original creative name Patty. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty bad. Laura bends down and looks between the horse's legs and says, oh, this one is Pat. Okay, so even lamer. So even though Mary came up with Patty super lame, like, okay, Laura, like, Pat is, like, are they siblings? Are I they can tell married? what you're trying to set up here, and it's not going to work. Laura is the hero of this book. Okay. Well, okay. of course, she wrote it. Yes. Caroline is appalled that Laura has looked between the horse's legs. And Charles in his little twinkling smile and his charming way said, Caroline, the child's going to be in a world of trouble if she doesn't know the difference. And then Caroline does the angry pat of her apron. Right. Cause she's offended. Caroline spends a lot of this episode and the next 10 years slightly offended. Yes. The next scene we have is an adventure scene, as I like to call it. And it's one that if you were a regular viewer, you became familiar with. And that is, the Ingalls approaching some dangerous situation and the music audibly cueing us into this. Like, dun, dun, dun. The music just changes from the lighthearted banter of the horse anatomy to we are now going to cross a very dangerous river. Caroline is horrified. She's freaking out. And Charles is like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Which, you know, we're starting to see the dynamic of their relationship emerge. Where Paul just can do no wrong and can accomplish everything. So he's going to take his children in this covered wagon across what looks to me like a raging river. So the river has clear swirling whirlpools. But I find it interesting that they picked like the most dangerous part. Like you can look upstream just slightly and see calmer water or or so it appears. And they're going to take the children across in this death wagon. But Jack... Mm. Eh, whatever. Jack has to swim by himself. He's like a 10-pound dog. The, yeah, across the water. He really is. He's not a big dog. So this gives us our first shit is real kind of scene that these kids experience. And that is they finally get to the other side of the river. It's terrifying. Charles at one point has to jump out of the wagon jumps out, gets sucked under in what can only be described as some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. And worst plan. Like, 
Let me yeah. jump out on the side that the river's going to pull me under the wagon. And like, just to be fair, the horses knew better. They were like, oh, no, that's my invitation <laughs> of a horse. <laughs> that's how horses talk. So keep that in mind. But they were like, wow. no, we're not crossing this river. Like, screw you. And Jack was like, dude, no. What? Are you- <laughs> what? And then he just took off because he's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Look at these humans. Right. So they survive. Charles gets out of the river. They survive. Paul collapses on. I'm going to interchangeably just call him Charles and Paul. Paul collapses on the shore. Dramatically. Very dramatically. Caroline dives off the wagon, runs to him, you know, oh my God, Charles, Charles, Charles. And he starts laughing and grabs her and they like roll around. Because what she needed in that moment was a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then they notice that Jack is gone. Paul says, don't worry, I'll go look for him. I'll find him. He probably just washed up down shore. Nope. Laura's not buying it. She's not buying it. We have day turning into night. Caroline has somehow managed to get the wagon onto land because we see Paul leave right then and there. So Caroline has somehow managed to load the wagon up onto land, find a camping spot, light a fire, feed the kids, get everybody together. Well, of course she did. Of course she did. Yeah. And then suddenly we see Charles emerge from the darkness. And you could tell something is different about him. He had one job. He had one job, Charles. They have the most horrifying conversation right in front of these children. (laughs) Charles emerges, no Jack. Laura's face just drops. Caroline says to him, do you think he drowned? So she's asking the children's father right in front of them, do you think the dog is dead? (laughs) And Charles answers, probably. Not like, no, he's probably just further than I could have walked. We'll catch up with him. Nope. He's probably dead. And Laura is just like sobbing. My husband, Timmy, and I have had a lot of talks in front of our children. I have 13-year-old twin girls. We don't have talks like this in front of them. This is really how they have to prepare these kids, I think. Because nothing, like this is just foreshadowing for the next 10 years. True. And then Charles after Laura's upset, also makes some kind of, like, Charles has this thing where he just very quickly changes to rage emotionally. (laughs) Like, his range seems to be super charming or rage. And he's on rage right now and makes some very flippant comment about they just lost a good watchdog. And my argument there is if this dog was so critical to this operation, why is he dragging alongside the wagon and not in it? Like, this, it just doesn't make any sense truth so the next day we have a wide shot of the wagon they're ba- they packed back up they're moving no jack running behind guess who's running behind now jenny laura's the watchdog laura she's protesting she's protesting she is it's hot and she's out there and caroline's upset trying to coax her into the wagon but charles says leave her be she's hurting Again, he always knows how to say the right thing. And and we start to see Laura's kind of activism roots starting here. Like she's mm-hmm. she's just like I'm going to protest Jack's mistreatment by by walking in solidarity with watchdogs. <laughs> True. So they they stop and camp a little bit and that night Ma and Pa have a little fight. She wants to settle but 
I have a note here that he's looking for 160 acres free and clear from the government. So this has to do with the Homestead Act of 1862 that Lincoln signed. And in in this act, any American, including freed slaves and women, could put up a claim for 160 acres of federal land. Just a note, single women did take advantage of this, but married women were discriminated against. You had to be 21 or the head of household. There was a small fee, which I looked up, and that was $18, which equates to about $400 now. So I feel like not that small. Like, that could be a barrier to entry for sure. Sure. And you had to have five years of continuous residence on the land to get the deed, which we will see later, spoiler alert, is difficult to stay and live and survive (laughs) on some of these places for five years. Okay. So thanks. Thanks, nerd. Um, Because I read things (laughs) and research things. So during this fight, something amazing happens. Jack comes back. Oh my God, Jack is back and he's super extra annoying just to pile it on. I don't know how on earth he found them. (laughs) And Laura's level of physicality and physical affection with this dog bothers me because it's infested with God. I can't even imagine what he has. Like the ticks, the fleas, worms, I'm sure. Well, and then when they're in this embrace, this like homecoming embrace, <laughs> the best part of this is the look that Jack gives Charles. Like, Oh, he's going to bite him in the there ass. There is some good acting with the animals in this show in general, but like he just gives him this side eye. Like, I'm, I'm on to you. I know what you tried to do. And as an ending note to this scene... Laura and Paul have like this touching discussion, which is the first we see of Paul's gaslighting. Laura actually apologizes to Charles, saying, I'm so sorry I thought you didn't care about Jack when he drowned. He didn't care he about didn't Jack care. when he drowned. <laughs> he totally didn't care. Now he's like, Thank you, dear Lord. Like the Lord washed him down a river. Like Jack survived. Jack survived. She has to apologize to him for being like, this is classic gaslighting. Is it not? Yeah. I did something wrong, but I'm going to make you think you're the wrong one. You have to. I don't know. Aim. Do you have an index card on gaslighting? No, but I have about 30 years of watching soap operas on my resume. Right. So I'll never forget when Roger Thorpe was gaslighting Holly on Guiding oh Light. Oh, I think that was the first time I ever heard that word and it just became a thing. So Jack is back and he's barky and annoying. So next day, Caroline is making breakfast. The girls are fighting over names of birds. Sounds interesting. What a boring life. Charles is lying about the Bible. And of course, Caroline corrects him. And Charles reveals they're going to Independence, Kansas. Caroline gets excited. Oh, Charles, we're going to the city. And then he goes, again, switching to rage mode. No, we're not. We're not going to the city. And you could tell Caroline's like, did you take your meds today? Like, what's happening? Well, and doesn't she say something to the girls or infer that he's just tired? Like, the you know, like, but like, so he gets to act like a giant baby because he's tired. Yeah, pretty much. I'm going to just start Charles- acting like that at work when I'm tired. <laughs> Charles walks away in a huff, looks over a hill, and suddenly Charming Charles is back, and he's got that big smile, and he decides that's where they're going to live. And then they literally all start building a cabin together. And all of this land is Native American land, just to be clear. It's it's land that the U.S. government stole 
that now they pass mm-hmm. the Homestead Act. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, go, go take the quote-unquote free land. Yeah. Yep. And I put here, you know, there's this montage of them building the farm together. And I wrote, Carolyn's life would be so much easier if she could just throw on a pair of pants. So... Caroline almost collapses at some point. She and Charles are lifting a log and it's too much for her. And she finally breaks. And Charles, feeling shame, says something to the effect of, I never should have had you do this because, quote, this is no work for a woman. (sighs) But she just did like everything on their trip, basically. And he looked for a dog that he didn't find (laughs) and then threw a few tantrums and fell under the wagon (laughs) like that like she did everything on this trip pretty much well jenny raising the kids is the easy part don't you oh yeah that's super easy that looks amazing i mean i don't Mm -hmm. have kids but watching it over the last 13 years from a slight distance yeah that Mm -hmm. looks super easy it's easy so i don't have a real good concept of time here it just seems to be a succession of day and night scenes so the next scene we have pause coming home and guess what caroline i found a neighbor yay a neighbor and guess who the neighbor is jen is it mr edwards it's mr edwards mr edwards one of my favorite characters of all time and he's a bachelor has, has appeared oh he's a bachelor and the first time we see him, he's not well-groomed. He's sort of all gruff and tumble, and he's teaching Laura how to spit. Which I, which is cute. I get it. The setup is cool. He's like this, you know, rough and tough guy. But, like, that sound of, like, hawking a luger, as we used to call it back in the day, yeah. like, makes me want to yeah. vomit. It's gross. But I can do it. <sighs> of course you can. I mean, we grew up with all boys. I, I can do it. Yeah. Caroline is appalled. And this sets up the dynamic between Caroline and Mr. Edwards. She's appalled. She's straightening the apron, (laughs) rubbing her hands on her apron. He's uncivilized. She's just going to wear holes in that apron by rubbing her palms. He's uncivilized and not church going. Yeah. That night, she and Charles have this conversation about Mr. Edwards, and she's, Caroline's calling him uncivilized and doesn't think that he uh, has ever seen the inside of a church. And then we go from zero to pedophile real quick because <laughs> Caroline tells Charles, I don't want him around the children. And I feel like that has a different connotation now, well, right? Yeah. Even in the 80s, it did. Like if you brought somebody home and later that day you were like, how'd you like my so-and-so, my date or whatever? And I said, oh, I don't want them around the kids. <laughs> like that's just like, mm, you know. <laughs> Not not a great first impression. There. But I think what she means is he's a bad influence, right? Like he's going to. Right. Like because he's going to teach them how to spit. He's going to teach them how to spit and not go to church. Although I think, you know, speaking as an atheist, that's the right move. Pa defends Mr. Edwards secularism. He says that's yeah. no way to judge a man. Yeah, and then he he makes some weird statement about there are plenty of church going men who would swindle women out of money. But I think he says swindle a widow yeah. out of money. Yes. Because, you know, widows are like ripe for the plucking, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. I guess. So the next day they're finishing a house and they're just going to roll a canvas over the top of this bitch. Like no roof, 
No framing, no trusses, no nothing. They're just going to roll a canvas over. And Caroline is sweeping the dirt floor. I don't understand the the idea of sweeping a dirt floor. She's angry sweeping the floor, too. I mean, I don't know. Does that just smooth out the dirt? It doesn't make sense to me either. Is that, I don't know. Wait, is that similar to like how Graham raked her shag carpet? Oh, my God. Um, Maybe. I feel like the raking of the shag carpet, though, accomplished something. Accomplished what? Like the shag stood up. Besides extremely entertaining videos that we posted on Facebook. Oh, I know. They were so great. I'll have to share one. All right. So Caroline is angrily sweeping the floor, and we realize it's because she, she has something on her mind, Jen. You can tell. Like, they're pre- it's pretty, like, there's nothing subtle about them. So they snap at each other in this conversation and then they suddenly start smiling and laughing and then they start making out like they realize they're alone and they start making but out. but they're not alone because guess who shows up and starts barking <laughs> jack and charles gives him a look like die in a river <laughs> jack always there when you don't want him to be he's cute though <sighs> And, you know, he just stays around like he's loyal. He's loyal to annoying the hell out of everyone. She's worried about the girls' schooling. She wants them to get a proper education because Mary wants to be a school I mean, teacher. I, I'm with her on this. Like, they have this is their life if they don't get a good education. Sweeping dirt floors. Yeah, they, they have to have a good education. Absolutely. And Caroline seems like she had a good education. She seems upper crusty. I agree. Like, she's well-spoken. Which would have been the right? people who got better educations in this time. She clearly had some dental work. I mean, you can't go by that. What is Carolyn Glasson going to like get her teeth all effed up to like be in this show? <laughs> I don't know. I guess they're just going to grab so many bad teeth for it. So I want to take a minute and just say there are some very uncomfortable racist moments in this episode please know that when when we use the word indian we are simply using the language that they're using in the show and we're referencing their statements about the native americans in the show this is not our words and certainly not appropriate so we have some old school racism here charles tells they have a discussion about laundry And Charles tells Caroline to take the clothes down to the river and wash them like, quote, Indian women do. And Caroline says, she's offended. And she says, if I wanted to live like an Indian, I would live in a tent. Is Charles trying to be insulting? I don't, like, it's hard to say, right? I think, Jen, he's doing the I'm going to be the helpful man Mm. thing. Like when I waxed my floors for three hours yesterday because I was told they would dry in an hour and it took like five. And Timmy said, "Mm, maybe it wasn't a good day to wax the floors because it's so humid out. If you could have seen the stairs. Wait, didn't he also say, why didn't you start that earlier? Yes, he did. (laughs) I think Paul's doing one of those like, oh, if you're having a hard time with the laundry, why don't you take it down to the river and do it the way real women do? Well, and you know what hasn't happened here at all is him offering to help with the laundry. She helped him build a freaking house and he won't like wash a shirt. And in the ever flattering portrait Laura continues to create of Mary, 
The next scene, Laura very precociously says to Charles, oh, when will we see some Indians? And Mary emerges from under the blanket or whatever the hell she's doing and says, (laughs) never. She goes, I hope never. And Caroline agrees. And we're starting to see how this family's divided along party lines. We know how they're going to vote in 2016. The next day, or a couple days from now, I don't know, the next time we see daylight, Paul leaves to go hunting. And suddenly, the music cues us in that something's wrong. He is surrounded by wolves. And a chase ensues. And I wrote, Charles is smoking hot on this horse as he runs away from the wolves. Um... I didn't. Okay. So then Charles realizes he has to make like a Sophie's choice type situation and he throws all their food (laughs) to the wolves so that he can get away. Thing of rabbits. But I think like to be fair to Charles in this situation, what other move do you have? Like he's not going to be able to shoot them all with a rifle. Like there's too many of them. They would start taking down that horse. And like, that's it. So we got. I kind of thought it would be like World of Warcraft and he would just outrun the aggro. I can see why you would think that, but we know that that didn't work because they followed him home. Spoiler alert. All right. So when Charles gets home from hunting, we have one of our very first reunion scenes. You know the ones I'm talking about, Jen. Carolyn's running out of the house towards Charles. Screaming. Arms up. Throws herself around him. I don't blame her. (laughs) And, uh, but I can only imagine what he smells like. Ugh. Uh, later that night, the wolves, I'm assuming the same ones from that day, come and circle the cabin. And, and Laura wakes up in the middle of the night and Charles isn't there. She goes outside, which what kid wakes up in the middle of the night in the middle of the woods in the pitch dark and just goes outside the well, cabin? Well, that's what I mean. Like Laura's writing herself as the total badass that she definitely is not. <laughs> So she goes out and she sees in, in what has become another trope, I think, an adult sitting watching the door or something else with a loaded rifle in their hand. <laughs> well, to be fair, this is probably more accurate than not, given the danger That's of true. where they are. That's true. They have a, a strange conversation here where Paul confides in Laura about what happened while he was hunting and how he was freaked out. But he asks her not to tell Caroline. And doesn't he say something about, I forget what he says here, like fathers get scared, but not as scared as mothers? She said, Paws don't get scared. And Pa says, Paws do get scared, but not as scared as Ma's. Yeah. Okay. Little women. Got to keep them from knowing anything, I guess. First of all, from what I've seen of Caroline in the first hour of this episode, she's a badass. I don't think she's going to collapse under the weight of this secret of wolves no. chasing Charles. No. And do you think it's better to just have them ominously circling the dark and as you sit there with a loaded rifle? Just like she's going to be cued into this. I mean, he should just build a door. Why doesn't he shoot the wolves? Because, well, see, this is what I was wondering. Do you shoot the wolf and the fire, the sound of the rifle scares them all away? I would think so. I wouldn't think they come at you. But then again, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. Those guns take a long time to load. What if he needed to reload quickly? Like, what if they came at him? It's not a musket. Is that what you're thinking? 
Oh, Jenny, you, <laughs> I know nothing about guns. I mean, I, it's an AR-47. I'd be like, okay. I know what I know from history about guns, not any kind of personal thing. And I'm going to give Michael Landon some very rare directing props here. And say that scene was pretty scary, and it was lit in a pretty a dramatic way. It was lit way. by a fire. Right, and you could see the wolves just popping in and out of that light. Like, it was eerie. I don't know. I would I would have been scared of it. You know me. I was scared of Scooby-Doo. Well, you're a ma. <laughs> <laughs> Amy was scared of a Scooby-Doo doll that we had when we were kids. And in order for her to sleep, we shared a room when we were young. My mother had to come in and or my father and turn the doll around so the eyes weren't staring at her. Wouldn't have been easier on them both if they just got rid of the goddamn dog. (laughs) But you I mean you would have just found something else, to be fair though. Like you were afraid of grass. (laughs) You would scream It was a texture thing. It was a texture thing. You would scream like someone murdered you if mom put you down on grass when you were like a toddler. I still might. I'm so allergic to grass. I still do scream and cry. I was so excited to have a younger sister. And then like you just were paralyzed Mm -hmm. in fear all the time and never did anything for Mm -hmm. like the first two or three years of your life. And you didn't exploit that at all. (laughs) Okay. So the next morning, Pa ties Jack up before he leaves to go hunting. And he tells Laura not to untie the dog no matter what. And it's almost like you could hear thunder crashing behind him. So moments later, we see two Native American gentlemen moments enter the later, property. Like, like, like eight seconds. seconds later. Like Laura could have just run after Pa. He's probably right at the edge of the property. She probably could have just yelled for him. But, right? But also there's, you know, and again, this is all very intentional. As soon as we see these Native American gentlemen... This the music turns all doom, like of dun, course. Dun, dun. And Laura jumps to the assumption that somehow they are there to do harm, and she has to save yep. Caroline. Yes, there's no like, where what happened to the precarious? Like, oh, I want to see Indians. There they are. Yep, go up and shake their hand. Okay, so Laura's first instinct is not to run after Pa or yell for him. But to just untie Jack and guess who foils her big plan, Jenny? Mary. Because supposedly. (laughs) Hall monitor Mary. Hall monitor Mary. This is what the book says, probably. Supposedly Mary was eavesdropping on the whole conversation that Laura and Pa had. And knows that Pa told her not to untie Jack. Wait, the best is Mary comes out of nowhere. And pushes Laura to the ground. <laughs> and she's yelling, I saw Pa tell you not to untie Jack. Like the fact that these kids are so obedient to him when he's not even around is really strange. So the Native Americans are inside the cabin and they're just telegraphing the racism here so <sighs> strongly. It's so bad. They're rubbing Caroline's hair, and I feel like it's like, it's just weird. It's like, they're, it's ominous, and it's unnecessary. And they're definitely- I don't understand. They're that. not Native American actors, so they're not no, accurately of represented. Course not. Of course not. After several moments, Caroline, who's standing there paralyzed in fear, 
gives them a box of Charles tobacco and some cornbread. I lived down south for a couple of years in Savannah, Georgia. Cornbread is friggin' delicious. I just want to put that out there. Not a fan. Not oh, a fan. God, I love it. It crumbles and falls apart. No, you don't. You have not had proper cornbread. I don't think I have. That night, Charles comes home. And I really want to talk about this scene because it really sums up my relationship with men and the dynamic that emerged in my teen years. Wow, this scene, is, this scene specifically. This behavior, because we see it repeated. Charles comes home and yells at Laura for wanting to untie Jack and like upsets her and freaks out on her. And he's very stern with her. Well, wait, but back up. They seem to not be telling him at first. Oh, right. Which right, is right. super yeah. weird, right? Like yeah. they're they're yeah. kind of not telling him. And then Laura does this thing where she's like, hey, hey, Pa, do you want a pipe? And he's like, no, I'm good. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My good. kids do that too. It's like, it's like code for narc. Like <laughs> Penelope will say, mommy, do you want a bowl of ice cream? And I'm like, no, I'm good. What she's really trying to say is Samantha ate all your ice cream. Yeah. So what, like she just wants to narc out her sister. Yeah. Like what Laura's mm-hmm. saying is Ma gave away your tobacco. <laughs> Correct. Correct. But Charles is super harsh and he's like, you need to learn to obey me no matter what, which uh, Mary's got that covered. Laura runs out crying and then Charles like takes a breath and Caroline kind of shoots him a look like, what are you doing? She's a kid. And then he goes out and he like soothes her and talks to her and begs for her forgiveness sort of without asking. And I realize like this is a dynamic and a problem that I discuss in therapy often from my early teens. Well, we'll see this pattern over and over again. Like, Pa never learns this lesson of just don't blow up in the first place. Maybe take a right. minute. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the next day, guess where Charles is going, Jen? To the big city. To the big city. And I had a visceral reaction to this because shit happens when Charles goes to the big city. Whenever he leaves, basically. And in the big city, was this Independence at this time? He was going to Independence? Yeah, probably. And it's, I looked it up, it's like a 12-mile trip. 12 miles. Like, I could walk that. And he's going to be well, gone. Well, right. I could yeah. walk it. I would be miserable. 12 miles, Jen? It's 12. I could walk 12 miles. You're coming in next weekend. Guess what you're doing? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's 12 miles to and from. So that's 24 miles. But it's not on the same day. Okay, I'll let you walk 12 and then rest and then walk 12 back. Okay. So guess who comes back when Charles is gone? The Native Americans. They do appear again. But she only, Caroline only sees them. They don't bother her. They're just walking by. They don't come near her. They're just walking by because they live here. (laughs) They're like, why are you on my land? And they don't, what is happening? It's funny because they call Edwards a neighbor, but they don't call the Native Americans neighbors. Of course. So Caroline decides to, once again, sit up all night and rock in a chair with a shotgun. Which we will see so many times over the series as a little house. So Charles comes back from the big city and his timing isn't great because it's the middle of the it's night. It's dead quiet. It's the middle of the night. Carolyn's sitting there rocking with a gun. They're, <laughs> they're freaking out because they hear somebody. He's kind of creeping in instead of announcing himself. And like Carolyn's sitting there with the gun looking all tense. Jack's sitting there, like, ready to kill someone. He's like, I've been dead. I'm ready for this. Like, bring it on. <laughs> and then Does Jack bark? No. Why would he bark? <laughs> Why would he bark? That would make sense for him to bark in that I minute. he was this awesome watchdog. He likes to bark at the dumbest things when no one needs him to bark. 
So someone's literally coming into the house, doesn't bark. And then Charles slowly opens the door, like scaring the shit out of everyone. And he says something there like, I'd feel more welcome if you put that thing down. Now that Charles is back, the Native Americans come back again. And Charles has a very different reaction to them. Do you notice? A different reaction than Carolyn did. Yes. He invites them in. He's smiling. He offers them some tobacco. They smoke together. And we see um, the Native Americans speak a little bit. And one speaks French. And did you notice who understood the French? Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Upper crust. Mm-hmm. Like, she knows it. Meanwhile, I've taken, like, five years of it and can barely make out anything. Yeah. Like, the one, the one said something like, Bona Fortuna, and I was able to guess with 80% accuracy that that meant good fortune or good luck. I don't even know if I'm right. Maybe not. There's probably people right. screaming that I'm wrong. I took four years of French and don't know any of it, and I've been to France several times and like could muddle through ordering some wine. True. So soon they start talking about Christmas. Now we're shifting toward sort of the end part of the episode. And all I could think about was what on earth could these people possibly give their children for Christmas? Like, where are they going to get something for Christmas? Yeah, they're going to have to get, like, wheat or, like, Like wood. a rabbit skin? Here's a well, a rabbit. rabbit. I feel like rabbit skin would be extravagant for the for this. Um, and they I don't guess. have rabbits. The wolves eat all the rabbits. I guess. And, and Caroline has agreed to let Mr. Edwards come over for Christmas. And we see Mr. Edwards making his way. And let me tell you something. Charles Ingalls, Michael Landon, not subtle on this <laughs> arduous journey. Like Mr. Edwards is emerging from a snowbank. He's covered in snow. There's icicles in his beard. He looks like something out of a Rudolph cartoon. Like the abominable snowman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, that that one? It's yeah. like a, like remember winter? This is like a real snowstorm. Like remember when winter used to happen? We had, I we had snow. Winter. Yeah, and I remember when. Like, this is, like, does a covered wagon or a non-covered, like, can you not, couldn't he ride a horse over? I feel like a horse can ride through snow if, if a wagon can't make it. I also have a statement here. Does the house have a roof yet by this point? Because there's no way a tarp could hold this amount of snow on I it. I mean, you have two eyes and you saw a roof on the house the whole time. There's no tarp there. What are you talking about? He said he was going to put a tarp on that house. There's clearly a roof. Oh, right, because the house does change. They don't really make a big deal of this, but the house changes over time. And they, they seem to be there, what, maybe a year because we only see one winter, really. But they have a window. They have He finally puts some kind of contraption on the door. They have a wood floor. Like, things start to progress in the house. But there's no way. So, like, when Edward's come, like, they're sitting there, no jackets on, no hats or anything, like, seem very warm there's no way this house is that warm you can literally see the light through the wall like through the spaces in the wood it's not well, it's it, a there's, set jenny there's no way they're like this in house California. Is that warm there's no way they're in la but this isn't like not accurate where's their <laughs> physics director <laughs> oh i could imagine the cast and crew has a lot to say <laughs> like when there's some of these scenes with these Native Americans, like there's a grip somewhere in the corner with a sign saying like, um, yeah. this is racist. I don't know. This was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So Mr. Edwards comes in and they strip him down 
to his long johns, Awkward. which I realized that I was very familiar with the term long john pajamas, and I think it's from this. It could only be from this. Yeah, long pajamas. Like, that made sense to me. So they strip him down to his long pajamas, and he looks like he's stoned or something. He might have been drunk. And they just set him near the fire. Like, just sit near the fire. You'll dry out. So, okay, let's talk about the gifts for a minute. So Mr. Edwards, after he defrosts. Well, he tells the story about how he ran into Santa. Where? Where did he run into Santa? At a saloon. He he covers that up pretty (laughs) quick, though. In the city. Yep. Come, he was coming out of a saloon and then he looks at Caroline. Uh-uh, I mean, him I was, you know, in a fabric store. No, what did he say? He didn't say fabric store. Did I he say what... church? Did he no, say church? it wasn't. Definitely was not church. Okay. It was probably like a mercantile or something. Oh, yeah, maybe. So he's he is telling the girls that Santa can't make it because of the snow. I mean, he barely made it from 10 miles away. But Santa asked about and them. Santa asked about them and he gave them gifts. So Mr. Edwards proceeds to give the girls gifts and they are a cup. You heard me a cup. It's a tin cup. It's a tin cup. A candy cane stick. A candy cane stick. Singular. To which Mary says, I'm going to save mine. Okay. And Laura, who knows how to enjoy life, Instant just gratification. takes a big bite. <laughs> but all Laura also bite. says about the cup that, like, basically she implies that <laughs> they've been sharing cups. <laughs> so right. now they can which, have their own. Which, okay, to be fair, at that age, if we had to share cups, like, a cup would have been the best gift I ever got in my life. For sure. That's true. And to be fair, you know, we're taping this during the COVID pandemic and sharing a cup just, you can't share a cup with anybody right now. So during this whole exchange, Carolyn starts to melt towards Mr. Edwards a little bit, her icy demeanor towards him. She realizes that like he did this nice thing for the kids and like got way good gifts compared to what they're going to get next. (laughs) And there's this amazing lighting, like this halo lighting that there's like these back and forth, like show Mr. Edwards staring at Carolyn, show Carolyn staring at Mr. Edwards. And they're lit mm-hmm. with this like intense dramatic halo lighting. It is so bizarre, but it's made to clue you in on now she thinks he's a good guy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He telegraphs this heavily. Yeah, so bad. Like It's not subtle. Heavy handed, for sure. Very heavy handed. So then Mr. Edwards, guess what, Jenny, has a gift for Caroline. And it is any Little woman's dream. Potatoes. Yep, potatoes. <laughs> so <laughs> you are so getting potatoes for Christmas from me. Just a <laughs> box of potatoes. And Caroline gets super excited. And I was thinking to myself, I have in my notes, what would my kids do if I gave them a cup and a candy cane stick for Christmas? They would burn your house down. I think, guess what they're getting? I think it's going to happen. A tin cup. A tin cup. And one candy cane stick. Okay. So then uh, the the season of giving continues when the girls open their stockings from their parents. And let's go through this laundry list of uh, indulgences. A penny. A new penny. A new penny. A sugar cookie. Which 
has been sitting in a stocking over heat. And these are actual stockings. Like these are stockings people wear on their legs at this time. Yeah. And it's been sitting in this gross stocking <laughs> over heat. Yeah. Okay. And a pair of red mittens, which good. not a bad gift. That's a good, not they a bad need gift. That. Right. And then we realize that this is the moment Mr. Edwards has just one Caroline over. Like, that's it. Done. Okay. So we transition into spring now, and we see that Charles has bought a new plow, and the whole tone of the episode changes. And I also, to be fair, thought, oh, this is over now, finally. I did, too. I thought, okay, you know, I know the narrative arc, and we're on the end of it now. Yeah. Like, the wolves and the quote-unquote... Native American uh, guests, you know, all of those perceived dangers have worked out. Everybody's okay. We're good. Everything's good. Let's wrap this up. Yep. Transition to spring. We see Charles has bought a new plow. He's calmly plowing the field. Big, handsome smile on his face. When all of a sudden he sees a line of fire coming across the horizon. Holy shit. A fire. What? What? And and okay, so I'm going to say something here. I could have used the music to cue me into something. Yeah, this creeped and up. It wasn't us. there. This is when you use the music, Michael Landon. And he kind of had the face of like, oh motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know how he doesn't just throw himself in the pond at this point. Okay, so now they have to fight off this goddamn fire. So everybody runs around crazy, and they begin to soak the house with water. Charles tells Caroline, take Carrie down to the river where she'll be safe. Now, you may have noticed we have not even said the word Carrie yet. Carrie is the third daughter, the baby, who just has zero presence in this entire episode. Yeah. She's literally like a prop. Like, oh, there's a third kid there. Because Laura's like obsessed with characterizing her older sister and obsessed with her older sister, but doesn't care about the younger one. It's like she doesn't or, exist. Or she just sucks as a sister. <laughs> well, I mean, she's pretty young at this point. But yeah, they're like, go put Carrie in the river. And I'm like, okay, uh, go take her to the river so she's safe. And I'm like, all right, that makes sense. Water is safe. Yeah, as fire. a mom, I could totally relate. You take the kid down the river, you two huddled together down there. Let your other two children battle a raging fire <laughs> with your husband. <laughs> Let that happen. But no, what does she do, Jenny? She just flings Carrie in, in the <laughs> riverbed on her own and is like, stay here, and runs away. And Carrie's like crying a river. No pun intended. Yeah, she's in a river. Not dissimilar to the river that they crossed before that was like life-threatening. Um, now they're just tossing their kid right, into it. It's probably not the size of that river. Who's but the writer here, Jenny? Who's the writer? I mean, are you trying Give to make some... this more exciting than it is? Yes. Yes, give okay. me some artistic Sorry. license. Okay, so Carrie's in a room. I'm the fact river. checker, and I disagree <laughs> with this. So, all right, the fire is out of control, and Charles is, like, trying to save the animals. Where's Jack? Where's Jack? Did he die in the fire? I don't know, but let me just say about Jack. Once again, we could have used him here. Yeah, I mean, the dog is nowhere useful. He's, He's bark- like barking at snow. He did bark at the snow to let them know it was snowing. <laughs> yes, he did do that. So just as it looks like the whole house is going to burn down, it starts to rain. And Caroline, thanks God. Yeah. This God is God doing this. Mm-hmm. God's yep. doing this. 
Yep. So later that night, they're eating dinner. And this was really a bizarre turn of events. Now, now let me just say, I thought, okay, okay. The fire, I thought it was over, but the fire came. All right. Now definitely now it's got to be over, over, right? It's got to be over. It's got to be over. Nope. Cue, nope. cue the locusts. They're eating dinner and they hear distant drumming. Caroline immediately freezes and they, they zoom in on her face and she says, I knew it. The Indians started the fire to burn us out. That's a leap. Well, because clearly, clearly it's not their fault for building an entirely combustible homestead on a dry field. Uh, you know, that would have nothing to do with it. So let's talk about the drumming here. The drumming is constant. So and it goes on for days. I would have killed my whole family and burned my house down. That would have been the end of Joe. So the drumming goes on for days and it shows like we have a few quick sequences here of the Ingalls just trying to carry on their everyday life, but the drumming is in the background. So then like telltale heart. (laughs) Totally. Then suddenly the drumming just stops and it's like nighttime and we hear some horses approach and it's really kind of ominous because you don't hear like two horses you hear like what sounds like 15 or 16 yeah it's a a lot of people it's a lot of people never you know it's it's unnerving so charles like gets everybody get in the corner he gets the gun you know he's ready for whatever dog who did not bark (laughs) at 16 horses arriving at the house get the silent watchdog and put him in the corner we gotta protect (laughs) him Maybe Jack thinks it's a silent film. <laughs> he, he might have bad direction in this movie, to be fair. Like, he might have sure. True. So, we see the, the same, uh, quote, Indian chief from earlier, the one who spoke French. This time he's come by and he's with an interpreter. And again, nobody's knocking, just walks right in the door. He tells Charles that some of the other tribes wanted to run the settlers off the land, off of their land, the Native Americans' land. You mean the trespassers? Yes, exactly. But the chief made peace by reminding these other tribes that the soldiers would come and wipe them out. He's not saying, we like these trespassers, let's let them live here. Let's live in harmony. He's saying, we will be slaughtered if we attempt to reclaim our own land here. Uh, Charles is really grateful, and they shake hands, and, and the gentlemen leave. So, again, I think it's over. Well, right? I think, yeah, I, I think it's over. I'm like, there's no way, I'm falling asleep at this point. I'm like, this has <laughs> got to be done. I'm exhausted at this point. Like it has been an emotional roller coaster. So again, the next day, sun is shining, Charles is plowing, everything's great. So you know something's gonna happen. Asteroid's gonna fall out of the sky, Laura's gonna burst in the flames, something is gonna happen. And all of a sudden, two blue I I wrote blue coat soldiers, because they have blue coats on. I don't know. The North had I don't blue. know if that's the, the American military had blue coats. Yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was significant, but... It's significant. Now I'm really afraid. The, uh, the Our militaries hang... Like, they're the ones that are going to fuck everything up, no doubt. I know. And we don't know what they're what is being said, but we can tell from Paul's face, it's not good. 
Like they're not there like, oh, you won the publisher's clearinghouse. What are you going to do with your million dollars? It's nothing like this. Oh, God. Remember that? Remember that? They would just show up at people's doors. Charles comes over to Caroline, who's standing there with the kids, like waiting with bated breath. What's going to happen? And he tells them, guess what, guys? We got to go. That's not our land. It's been a year. We're done. There goes our, Mm -hmm. there goes, so according to the Homestead Act, if they have to leave after a year, they're not going to get their land deed. So that's gone. That was a whole wasted year. Two minutes from the government has accomplished what fire, uh, perceived threats from Native Americans, (laughs) wolves could not accomplish. And that is getting the Ingalls family off of this land. Yeah. Like a 10 foot snowfall. Everything. So Paul's dating the Washington establishment right now. He does. He makes a comment about them, right? And then they tell, so he he explains that they have to leave because the lines have been redrawn and they are now in Indian territory. So here's my question. A, they were always in Indian territory. (laughs) That makes no sense. (laughs) Right. But B... The next day when they're packing up and leaving, we see them saying goodbye to Mr. Edwards. Doesn't he have to go? I guess what happened, what they described, is that the Kansas tribes petitioned the government to get the settlers off their land because they deemed that it was their land. So they did a whole grassroots thing against them, which I thought was really cool. Um, But yeah, Mr. Edwards, like how far away does this man live? (laughs) Unless it's like one of those things where like this, the neck, like they're on the state line and like he's in the next state or something weird like that. I don't know. I don't know. But if Charles, you know, if he had 160 acres, that's quite a, a spread, right? So at the end, at the end of the movie, the Ingalls family are loading up and we know where they're going. Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove. That's where they're going to end up. So that's the end of the episode. What'd you think overall? Um, it was super dramatic and could have ended way better in <laughs> 10 different places. But I realized, yeah, it's a movie. It's not a show. Okay. I get it. Right. So we don't know, you know, it had to be self-contained and there had to be a lot of drama. But a story arc traditionally has like one climactic moment, not 17. So here's some of the annoying things that are going to happen in this series is Amy is a writer, if you didn't know already, and she's going to talk about the structure of the story and tropes is a word I hate. And she's going to also correct grammar. So just get prepared. For I don't correct grammar. Mm. I try not to. On Facebook, you do. Well, <laughs> if I correct your grammar on Facebook, I'd be there all day. <laughs> And Jenny's going to research shit and write it out on index cards. Because, spoiler alert, she does that with her World of Warcraft characters. Because I have so many, and I need to understand, like, how to spec them and what what attributes I need for my armor in what order. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm going to win World of Warcraft. (laughs) You're going to win it? Over you. I just have to beat you. That's it. Oh, I thought this was going to be like a I finished Netflix kind of thing. Okay. (laughs) So at the end of every episode, we're going to do something called This Is Why. And that's where we look back on the episode and think, you know, this is why we feel a certain way or acted a certain way, or there's some kind of a line that we can trace directly from that period in our lives, watching this content 
to now or to at some point in the future. It doesn't necessarily like I can't trace like certain things in my life back to a moment in an episode, right? Like that that seems insane, but like you can it, it can't be that specific. Yeah, like you can trace these things back to themes that occur throughout these this series for sure. And and let me tell you, watching Little House again, I haven't seen it in like 35 years. I never rewatched it. Super interesting to start to understand how some of these things really impact you and shape your worldview in weird, you know, unpredictable ways. And I highly recommend either watching this again, if you haven't, or, you know, things that were big in your childhood. So with that, my, my this is why is really, you know, kind of lame <laughs> after that big buildup. Um, I think this is why I hate pets. I think because of, because of Jack, like, and this is an unpopular point of view to have. She does, she does hate pets, everyone. And people, she hates pets. And people like this is, people don't understand that. The thing is like, I don't necessarily like the energy of animals or I don't want animals in my house. I like specific animals. Like I like my friend's dog, Wally. I like your cat, Sterling, kind of, sort of, not as much as I like to Jude. But, like, I like Sterling some thing. animals that I know and like, but I don't want them living in my house. I don't want them taking a crap in my house. Like, I just don't want that in my in my space. But I, I appreciate that people like pets, and I'm glad they do. <laughs> but like, Let me guess. Let me guess. Super irritating. You would rather just throw money at pets. I like would, you'd rather throw money at rescues sure. and support causes 100%. than to actually house a rescue. A hundred percent. And I follow many, many dogs on Instagram and I love them. Popeye yeah. the foodie. You liked Freddy. You liked Freddy. I loved Freddy. The Wally Bear. These are dogs you should be following on Instagram. Mm -hmm. They're great. But my dog, Nellie, Jenny hates. I mean, this dog will go crazy and bark at any live animal mm -hmm. or animated animal that's on TV. So, or a man with the beard so you, or a baby. So you could imagine what it's like to watch TV. We'll be all sucked into watching something like really intense on TV. And then like a dog appears and she goes wild and scares the shit out of you because she's not a small dog. And it, it scares the like it's crazy. Like the dog. What is that about? So my why is <laughs> I think that I'm in love with Charles Ingalls. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's not dumb. Tell me. I have a theory. I think he is the perfect man. Oh, my God. I think You're brainwashed again by this. <laughs> it's actually brainwashing you for a second time. <laughs> I think he's the perfect father. I think he's the perfect husband. Oh, my God. I think he's charming. I think he's smoking hot. And I think that I have a whole new appreciation for Charles Ingalls. And I feel like part of my attraction to Timmy or my choosing of Timmy to marry was this subconscious <laughs> connection to Charles Ingalls. Oh God, I can't wait till he hears that. Because <laughs> my husband is is very like, He's a jack of all trades. He he builds things. He's a carpenter. He's a plumber. He's an electrician. Like he does all sorts of Charles Ingle type manly type things. Oh, see, well. but see, you're brainwashed because you just used the word manly there, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to some of that brainwashing in later episodes. 
I think this whole series needs to be my systematic deprogram. I oh, now that I hear this, <laughs> I a hundred percent agree with it, and I'm making it my personal mission. I mean, it's no secret that I could be coerced into a cult. There's no question. A hundred percent. Like if Charles Manson came around. Yeah. I would fall for that hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. Whereas if I were going to be in a cult, I would only be in a cult if I could be a leader and make your rules. Of course. And scorch everybody. Maybe. Hi, everyone. Amy here. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing. You can find Gen X This Is Why on all podcast apps. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, please consider leaving a five-star review. Those reviews help new listeners to find us. And if you can, help spread the word. Jenny needs all the help she can paying those therapy bills. I mean, index cards. Eh, whatever. And you can find us and interact with us on Instagram. Our handle is GenXThisIsWhy. Letter X, spell out the Y. Hope to see you there. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you when it comes to clothes having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must that's why american giant makes clothing that fits your life seamlessly with quality you have to feel to believe Whether you're stocking up for any weather or picking up a special gift, you'll find an impressive selection of staples to choose from. So whether you're on the hunt for a heavyweight hoodie, a fleece jacket, or a hardworking pair of warm sweatpants, American Giant has what you're looking for. Each American Giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop where anywhere closet staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code AnyStyle24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code AnyStyle24. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>